You make a deal with Netflix and you don't have money that comes into you forever. You get paid and then money 20% more or 30% more, but you that's it. It didn't come natural to me. There's so many things that I think about now I wish I had known when I was younger. What I believe resonates with people who are particularly now is content that has some sort of meaning to it. It's more than just pure entertainment. And so suddenly MTV was the only thing, it seemed, in the whole world and all of Hollywood and everybody else was taking their cues from this startup. I did not know a single writer when I became a writer. I think if you're trying to become a writer from someplace other than Los Angeles and New York, I still think that's really difficult. Welcome to Entertainment Business Wisdom with your host, Kaya Alexander. Welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Kaya Alexander, the host of Entertainment Business Wisdom, here today with my special guest, Paris Herbert Taylor. Paris is an Australian film and TV executive working in LA. Raised between Hong Kong, Malaysia, and Sydney, she started her entertainment career in Toronto before making the jump to the US and credits her global storytelling perspective with her unique upbringing. She's produced commercials for Outlaws, Ball, Aluminum, Cup, and Carhartt, and writes silly half-hour comedies when she's not hosting her own podcast, Aged Like Milk. An avid hiker and dog foster mom, Paris is drawn to content that has interesting takes on relationships or unique world-building sagas. Welcome, Paris. Hello. Thanks for having me. Nice to see faces. It's, um, you know, it's been a weird couple of years. Yeah, as we're recording live in front of my students, so we're always happy to have them in the house. It is really nice to be together, uh, together apart. I guess we are together <laughs> apart. <laughs> totally. Yeah, no, it's a pleasure. And I was listening to your podcast earlier, you know, in my prep and it's, you've had some wonderful guests and it's great chat. So I'm really excited to dive in. Oh, I'm so stoked that you're here. Thank you so much for coming. I've been a fan of yours from Twitter. You're very funny. You're a great <laughs> writer. And uh, I love that you wear, you wear so many different hats. You're so interesting. So mm -hmm. you're a development exec right mm -hmm. now by day, but you're also writing. Tell us mm -hmm. more about, about you. Tell us more about you and what you're doing. Yeah. It's, um, you know, just before we hit record, we were saying like the business these days is nobody really wears just one hat anymore. It feels like. So in my day job, I'm a creative exec at Pride of Gypsies and On the Rome, which is Jason Momoa and Brian Mendoza's production company. Um, and we do unscripted, we do feature, we do, we do have do, do TV, but it's, uh, we can talk about that. The TV pipeline right now is a bit funky. Um, and we also do commercials. So that's the day job I have. It's a really small team. I love the guys. And yeah. And then my passion as well is like writing half hour comedy. I fell into it. I, I mean, I did my degree in creative writing when I was at uni and it was, I'm sure a lot of people feel this way. Like it's scary to be like, I want to be a creative, you know, it's, especially if you come from a family of practical people who are like, what is that job? You know, um, <laughs> That's it's not a job <laughs> like, wait, what? Uh, it's just really hard to put your hand up and say, like, I would love to, you know, write things that make people laugh. But the pandemic was a really weird time. I 
found myself unemployed at one point, as a lot of people did, furloughed. And I didn't really know what to do. So I found out about all these fellowships, which I had kind of heard about, you know. And I just set a goal of writing the stuff that I would like to see on on TV, which is usually millennials fucking up, doing weird things, um, <laughs> you know, trying to navigate life. And I got into the Nickelodeon semifinals in 2020, which was random as hell. I was like, wait. Oh, congrats. Yeah. I got like a phone call from an unknown number and I was like, well, I'm not going to answer that because I am a millennial first and foremost, you know? Um, Yeah, exactly. And it was, it was them and I I got to interview and and make through and it was, you know, it's sliding doors. It didn't, I didn't progress to the finals. However, I stayed friends with a lot of the people that I met through that program. And then like shortly after I got the job with um, Jason and Brian. So you know, it's, it's, you never know when one door closes, another one is also going to open, which is great. That's so smart. And I love that you referenced making friends because that's my whole philosophy in mm. this business. I talk about it with my students all the time with finding your wolf pack. You know, who are your people? Who do you want to hang out with? Who makes you happy? Um, who brings out the, the best of your creativity where you feel like you can make a contribution? When I was a development exec, we're going back, you know, over a decade now, (laughs) it was very much like, that's your lane. And we don't see you as anything else aside from this. I remember after I think I'd read probably the thousandth script that I read, I, and I was a novelist, I was telling my boss, oh, I'd love to write, you know, I feel like we could, we could actually create some of our own content. Like I'd love to find writers. I'd love to do more writing. And he just glazed over and looked at me Mm -hmm. like, what are you talking about? <laughs> and I think that's shifted. You know, there's there's a lot more understanding of the contribution of creativity at every single area of the industry. And the people who get really successful, they welcome it. They're like, we want to tap your creativity. We want to know what you really think. That's super valuable. A hundred percent. And I think you're right. I think it has shifted. I've always been, well, not always over the last few years, I've been empowered to be vocal. My bosses are incredibly supportive. I think that goes back to what you were saying about the wolf pack. You know, not every boss is going to want you to flourish, want you to fly. Some bosses, unfortunately in this business are like, you are my assistant. You, you know, schedule my meetings, you get my coffee, whatever. I think it's about finding the people who have like the mentorship you know, vibe to them. And I've been very fortunate, you know, pretty much one of the things we don't do at Pride of Gypsies is half hour comedy, which is what I love. (laughs) But that's okay. You know, like they've read me, they've like supported me. They're like, you know, if you got staffed, if you sold something, like we would you go, you can come back, like we support you. But then it's, you're right. Like it is scary to say, you know, I think I'm more than an exec. And as you know, you read so many scripts in this day-to-day job and like a lot of them are not amazing. Unfortunately, they sort of get, you know, there's problems with them. So if you are a creative person, you're like, I could totally do this. And since I've become more vocal over the last couple of years, I have actually rooted out and found more what I'm calling now writing executives and I'm starting to foster like a community because you know, if you think about it, execs know the mandates, we have the relationships, we're inside the machine. Yep. It makes complete sense that you would also have, you know, the drive. If you, I mean, writing, as you guys know, is like, it's not an easy thing. You do have to wake up early or you have to find the time. But if you do have that drive, you're perfectly positioned to take advantage of the relationships and, and the access that you have. 
Oh, that's a, that's such a cool perspective. And I mean, it's maybe the silver lining of how the industry is evolving when you do find your your tribe, your wolf pack, the right people who are supportive, because there are certainly those those toxic environments out there. I always feel so sad when I have writers drop into my DMs, you know, who are just destroyed because they were in some horrible room or they're at some horrible job. And, you know, that's certainly out there. And I think it's a matter of like holding yourself in high self-regard and self-esteem so that you're like, look, I, I want to find the people who get me, who love me, who celebrate me. It was funny. I don't, I don't know if you remember this music video, but some of the people who listen to the podcast who are, who are my generation, um, will remember the blind melon video, the music video of like the little girl in the bee costume who is always getting bullied. And then by the end of the song, she ends up like running into the field with like all the other kids who are in the same costume as her and like they're her pals and her buddies and like oh it's like so sweet and I think about that when you find your tribe and the people who you can dance with who celebrate you uplift you and support your voice you know life becomes really really worth living so you've had such an interesting arc where did you go to uni? Because you've lived like all over the world. So I went to Australia because free and, you know, <laughs> being an Aussie as well. Um, and I Is also Sydney? in Sydney, in I went Sydney. to Sydney University to be completely transparent with you. My parents split up at the end of high school and my I grew up in Hong Kong. My mom was staying in Hong Kong and my dad was moving to Perth, which is where my extended family lives. And I I think I was just like spitefully like, what's like the furthest away point from all of them? I mean, I guess I could have gone to New Zealand, but I chose Sydney. I had lived there a couple of years in like middle school. Um, And it was great. I mean, I don't know if you know much about Australian university culture, but I, in my undergrad, got like 51% on every single subject because I was just, I lived on campus for three years and I really couldn't tell you much about the classes I took because I was drunk, you know, 24-7. It was like all the parties. Um, I lived at this place called Wesley College, which is near and dear to my heart. It's, we, uh, for us, colleges are like the dorms and the one I lived at was like a frat and a sorority mixed together for the Americans. So it was just like total parties all the time and literally you just had to pass your courses so you could stay and that was really the motivator yeah so then my master's um because undergrads in Australia can be like three years it's kind of accelerated so you know I graduated I feel like I was way too young and I didn't want to join the workforce and so I literally applied for my master's on the last possible day and you know creative writing it was really a toss-up between creative writing and psychology which sometimes I'm like I think psychology would have done me a lot of good in this business as well. (laughs) But um, yeah, so that was that. And, And then right after uni, as a lot of people, I was a bit lost. And how I came to North America was my good friend Alex was like, hey, I'm going to go work at this summer camp just outside of Toronto and like be a camp counselor. And I was like, that sounds really fun. I think I'm going to apply too. We got into the same camp. And I was there, I, we were supposed to be in Canada for two months and I ended up staying almost six years and becoming a permanent resident. Wow, um, yeah. you were a summer camp counselor, so was I. What was your area? I was theater. I was a big theater kid growing up. Summer camp, um, oh, that's brilliant. Yeah. I, was, I did the horsemanship program. Oh, that's fun. We did not have horses at the camp I was at. It was more like uh, dirt bikes and blow up things in the lake. And it was very... Gosh. Yeah, it was really cool, especially as an Australian, but that's not a part of the culture. You know, Um, I was like, damn, I wish I went here as a kid, you know? 
traveling is part of the Australian culture because no matter where I go in the world, I always meet Australians. <laughs> I know. And there's really not that many of us. I think our population is like 30 million to your there's American. There's not even that many in film. I feel like if I named some of like my Australian friends in film and TV, you'd be like, oh yeah, I know them all. <laughs> it's it's a pretty small, it's a pretty small industry. And we all support each other, you know. Um, it's not easy. I'm actually half New Zealander. My mom's a Kiwi. And so like that also narrows it down. Like, you know, obviously now we've got like Taika YTT and Reese Darby, like just crushing it, but it is a really small community and it's nice to be a part of that Southern hemisphere group in LA because you do have this like instant connection with people. You're like, Oh my God, we're so far from home. And you know, you get nostalgic and especially during the pandemic, I'm sure you guys know this, but Australia was a steel trap. Like there was no going in or out. Oh, really. I know. Yeah. One of my so. closest friends is in Sydney and like the lockdown that just went on and on mm -hmm. and on, or she couldn't leave her house. I mean, it was just yeah. endless, but there was a lot more, um, there was, it, well, it, back then the transmission rate was a lot better. The freedom in the beginning. Yeah. Tracing that we didn't have going on here. Did mm -hmm. we, did you spend the pandemic in LA? I was here in West Hollywood in this apartment, two bedroom. I moved in with my partner, um, in a, sort of like the late summer 2019. And then I immediately went to go work on a, a feature film. So he got to live here for six months by himself. And that's how I met like Jason and Brian and how I ended up at Pride of Gypsies was like meeting them on this movie. But, um, I remember when we were moving in together, he was adamant that we needed to find a two bedroom place. And I, cause he's an editor and he has like a big, you know, computer setup. And I was like, that's insane. And you know, whatever. I was like, we can do a one bedroom. Like we're never home. And little did I know that the pandemic was coming. So thank God for his foresight because foresight, that was the word I was just going to call yeah, up. There. That's, yeah. that, that's cool. So what were you doing on that, on that film? Hmm. So I was the producer's assistant and like, um, you know, a lot of people's industry sort of entry points are weird. I'll give you guys the quick backstory of mine. So I started in Toronto after the summer camp, I fell in with an events, um, and, and PR group and did events and PR for TV and film. Obviously Toronto has a lot of cool shit happening up there. I was, I worked at Pinewood studios on a contract. Oh, yeah. I was at E1 for a hot second, the one in Toronto. And then I, you know, did some PR. I worked on the campaign for Room, which was incredible. And then oh, Witch. So I got to meet Anya Taylor-Joy just as she was coming up. And she was this big eyed, like no one knew who she was. And obviously now she's like a mega star. Um, and then I moved over to LA and, you know, knew I had to get out of Canada because I was kind of bumping my head against a glass ceiling over there. The, the industry for what I want to do, which is be a boss bitch and write and produce and run this yeah, town. Um, I had to come to LA. I knew that it was like LA or New York. And I came to LA, even though I couldn't drive. And I, yeah, I just got like some assistant jobs. So this job, I was working for a producer in 2019. And then I got to go to set and uh, work on a Netflix movie. That was the most crazy thing I've ever seen and done. Pittsburgh is wonderful. That place will always have a special place in my heart, but you know, going from, being this Hong Kong kid who's really only seen like Cantonese movies go up. Um, obviously Michelle Yao, I love her and knew about her growing up. Love to see her having her day. You speak but, you know, Cantonese. I wish I did. I was definitely that expat kid that was like rejecting everything that my parents told me would be useful in my life. And was like, now I'm like, Hmm, I wish I did learn the piano and I wish I could speak <laughs> Cantonese, but um, yeah. So I was a producer's assistant and it's a great, I think, I see a lot of people asking, like, should I be a producer's assistant? Should I be a director's assistant? And I'm like, absolutely. I think, you know, shadowing somebody 
is the best way to learn, you know, what a job is. And the, the producer I worked for was like so hands-on. He was there every single day. You know, he was putting out fires left, right, and center. And I was like, as stressful as it was, I was like, yeah, this looks, this looks very cool. So I've continued on that path. That is awesome. So what's the vision for you? Where are you heading, Miss hmm. Boss Bitch? I mean, look, I love Pride of Gypsies. You know, obviously Jason is pretty famous and um, working with him and Brian, who is just the most supportive boss ever, like it's amazing. I'd love to stay with Pride of Gypsies for the next decade and continue to work on the cool projects that we do, especially working for a place that, you know, really um, is passionate about elevating indigenous voices and underrepresented writers. Like that's a huge part of my day to day is just connecting with people who have unique stories. But um, yeah, I would love to write a show similar in tone to Parks and Recreation. Like uh, 30 Rock is really the show that, me, you know, that really, that got me, that I felt seen. I thought Aww. Liz Lemon's character, you know, she was kind of weird and quirky and I was a weird and quirky kid because I was living this, you know, unique lifestyle living in, in Hong Kong. Um, so she was like kind of a guiding light, but yeah, I would love to show run. I would love to start a production company and elevate like women and POC, uh, stories, but we'll take it one day at a time. You know, I, uh, for now I'll just keep making films and TV with the best group of people I've ever met. I love that. So you guys are really at the forefront of pushing diversity in the industry where we still need a lot of help with POC and women. Tell us more about what you're seeing and what you're hoping for. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Because I think, you know, I was listening to some of your episodes and it is a pendulum shift, but these things do take time. And I think, you know, I was listening to your episode with, um, what's her name? Jessup, um, about like, you know, yeah, Lee Jessup. Yeah. The, the reference, you know, she was speaking, you guys were talking about like LGBTQIA representation in media and, you know, how far it's come. And I think we are seeing people, you know, actively looking at stories, you know, that center people of color in the stories. Like I'll give you a perfect example. So obviously Jason is Hawaiian. We get sent a lot of projects, you know, based in Hawaii around Hawaiian culture the thing that really gets to me is like, oftentimes it'll be like a white perspective in Hawaii. Like Hawaii is the background. It's not the story. Right. And so we have a show with Apple called chief of war that's shooting in the next couple of months. And it is about the unification of the Hawaiian islands. And the first two episodes are going to be spoken exclusively in Hawaiian, which is oh, ne never been seen before. Oh yeah. Gosh, and that so, really needs to happen. I actually lived in Maui for a couple of years and amazing. know a lot about the indigenous uh, insanity where they just, we'd lost everything. We lost mm -hmm. everything was taken by the conquerors and it's yeah. been so, so painful. Uh, I'm really happy to hear about that. Yeah, it should be, it should, it should be great. And I, you know, I challenge every person, every white person working in this industry, like, you know, whether you believe it or not, like you've indirectly, uh, profited or like had privilege, you know, because of the color of your skin and because of like the heritage that you have. And so like, for me being an Australian, like Australia's history is very bloody and very bleak. And I feel a duty to elevate people around me, um, who haven't had the same opportunities, you know, and to really be like, is this a part where I say something now, or is this a part where I sit down and shut up and, mm -hmm. and let somebody else lead? And I think the industry is doing that. I think we saw a lot more 
reactionary during Black Lives Matter. Um, and now, you know, it's been a couple of years and the heat's died down and we all get distracted and there's many terrible things that happen. But I think we need to recenter and realize that like that fight's not over. It's a continuous fight of representation. And I hope that the industry continues to do that. And it's not just something buzzy, you know, that what had its moment. Um, but I do know that this business can be very reactionary and not uh, proactive, which, you know, perfect example is the rise of Korean um, content. You know, suddenly Parasite does amazing and now everyone's like, you know, and then Squid Games and then everyone's Squid like, Game. oh, my, yeah, Pachinko's here. Like, and it's great. Like, I'm so glad these shows exist. But like, how about you know, stories from India? How about stories from Taiwan? How about stories from places, you know, that we haven't um, explored as much? So yeah, I completely agree. Uh, I'm big on own voices in the school and the awareness that if think about whether or not it's your story to tell, is that your story to tell? Um, and it's not always the case that it is your story to tell for the white people for whom they maybe fall in love with the culture and decide to tell that story. And it's like, mm, you might want to rethink that. I always try to be delicate about it because there's, you know, as we all know, politics involved around it. But like, I'm a big Bollywood fan. Lagan mm -hmm. was like one of my favorite movies, maybe ever. It might be in my top tens on Netflix right now. Um, and it's like the, the rise of international filmmaking is really, really exciting out of Mexico, out of India, um, out of Korea, mm -hmm. uh, culturally, I just think it's so cool. And man, I can't wait to see the Hawaiian film that you're talking. It's a series that's going it's it's to be, yeah, it's one of Apple's biggest series. Oh, I think amazing. it's been years was it based on IP or was this original writer? Who's the writer? It's uh, Thomas Pa'a Sibbit, who's a writer that we've worked with before, um, and it's Jason. So it's them together. And I think, I'm not sure if it's based on IP. I know that it's kind of got a historical aspect to it because uh, it's about, you know, obviously something true. Is it, is it Kamehameha? Yes, that's yes. part of it. And, but, you know, it's interesting, and I sort of insinuated this earlier, but like the TV pipeline, at least from our perspective, is... Um, you know, it's a long time coming. Like this show has been in development for five years, I want to say. And, you know, God love Apple. I think they're crushing it in the streaming world. They take a lot of risks. Pachinko is a show that takes place, oh, you so know, amazing. across three timelines in three languages, yep. Korean, Japanese, English. I was gobsmacked when I started watching that show Absolutely. because, you know, I grew up in Hong Kong and I have constantly been surrounded by my friendship group growing up was like a German girl, a guy from Taiwan, a, you know, it was just like this multicultural and like, there just never has felt like shows that represented people that live across cultures. And so Pachinko is a great way. And I think, you know, Chief of War is going to be amazing. So I commend Apple for taking risks, you know, and obviously it's paying off because they're not in the media laying off hundreds of people so right. yeah they're playing they're playing long game with their strategy and it's 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 high iq stuff you know mm -hmm. they expect to serve a sophisticated audience and i love that you know they're they're they dig deep uh, so i'm excited to see to see that that is Absolutely. so cool um so you have been you've been all over the world now you're in los angeles and pursuing also your writing tell me more about your writing 
I mean, we kind of touched on it. So yeah, I really love to write about like strong women who are also kind of fuck ups. And by the way, I've been swearing a lot on this podcast. I did not even ask at the beginning if that was okay. I hope, <laughs> totally I hope cool. you can beep it out. If it's I have not. no idea how I have a clean rating. They're not really <laughs> scrubbing the show very well. <laughs> um, yeah. So I mean, like, look, I am a millennial at that turning point where, you know, half of my ki- friends are having kids or thinking about having kids or getting married. And half of my friends are still at like raves at four o'clock in the morning, you know, on a Thursday night. So it's like that weird line that I'm straddling. And I think, you know, for me as a woman and a woman in the industry, I tend to gravitate towards stories about like, do I want to get married? Do I want to have kids? What is my career? Like, how do I fit into society? Like what is, you know, my value. And I, that's really my guiding light. Um, but also, I've come to realize, you know, from the outside, you're always like, oh, I don't really know what I write, but I do like to write um, unique relationships. And I think that comes from having a family that's like kind of flung across the globe and like, you know, just complicated. My, you know, my parents are divorced and my dad has a new partner and I have four step siblings, but we all met um, late in life, you know, in our late twenties. And it's like, what are we going to be like, you know, brother and sister now? No, I don't think so. Um, yeah, so that's kind of the stuff that really excites me. I did write a horror last year with my boss, Brian, which is like an indie. And we've kind of put it on ice right now because, as you guys may know, you always have to chase the projects that have the most like momentum and fire Absolutely. and backing and money and finance. So um, it is, you know, still there. I think horror and comedy are much more closely aligned than people realize. It's you know, the two genres that really can elicit like such a strong reaction, whether like it's a laugh or a jump scare. Um, I'm a massive wuss. I actually don't consume a lot of horror because I am very easily uh, susceptible to suggestions. So Jennifer's body though. No, uh, listen, oh, I have, you just have to see that one. Just I, that one. Cause it's I, minutes. Oh my God. You'll just die. You have a, to see it. As a writer and like, listen, if I ever make these horror movies, people are going to grill me and I'm going to be like, I'm sorry, I'm a fake, you know, I'm here. But like I watched In From The Cold, the uh, Scandinavian version and or I think that's what it's called. Yeah. And it's like, it's amazing. Um, I think if I if I could watch it, you could watch it. It's the only horror movie I think I've been able to get through. But the writing is so genius. (gasps) The writing is so genius. And the feminist take of high school, you know, with the with the horror piece. uh, It was just it's just so fantastic. Sometimes I see people in the in the chat saying they can't do horror. So I feel very validated. Um, Sometimes I will watch a horror, but I have to Google it first just to make sure I know. Because, again, like I'm just such a wuss, like if something and also, like, life is tough right now. Like, life is PTSD after the yeah. pandemic. I don't, life, I don't know if I'll ever watch horror again. <laughs> that's why I'm like always gravitating towards like the silly and like the fun and yeah, the escape. Even even like sci-fi, like Severance was an incredible show, and that was tense, but it was like engaging. You know, it's the stuff that's like confronting. I can't really do gore to be honest. Although I am watching The Boys season three, and I'm. Like how much fake blood did they have? Oh, on you are set, braver truly. than it's, I. You are braver than I. <laughs> <laughs> it's extremely graphic, um, but it's almost silly. So yes. So anyway, I'm that's my. Right. To see some of your stories on screen. I feel like we need to see a lot more range 
for women protagonists, antagonists, even just a lot more range of women on screen. I get excited seeing older women on screen too. Uh, the way I describe my personal writing brand is adventurous women. Because mm. when I was growing up, it was like, who do who are these role models? I was such an adventurous kid. I was such a tomboy that we used to call it back then. Uh, and you know, it was like we had Pippi Longstocking and Wonder Woman and like Anna Green Gables, and there was like nobody else. And then <laughs> it's like I four things, talking, like <laughs> four things, right? And then I remember, oh God, it was like um, the Bionic Woman came out on television when I was a kid, and I was so super obsessed because like she was really fast and she could run and she was like conquering, you know, the bad guys and whatnot. And I was like, oh my God, she's amazing. But once again fictionalized yeah. you know i always okay. loved xena xena was like Zena always was on cool. um oh, and and she's a legend she's a kiwi as well so like, a legend. but i think uh i've had okay so you know obviously you started as a writer you try to find your wolf pack as you were saying you get a lot of notes and it's funny when i started you know going to peers not everybody is going to give you the notes that are actually helpful That's true. um and i got a lot of comments like, wow, the women you write are really unlikable. And I was like, I don't get why that's bad. You know, like we are nuanced and like not every, I think maybe in comedy, there's this idea that you have to be like, you know, something, but again, going back to Liz Lemon, like she was deeply troubled. You know, there's an episode I always think about where she goes to her high school reunion and she doesn't want to. And she was like, oh, I was so bullied. And then you see it from the other perspective. And it's like, she was actually like always had a shitty comment, was always like muttering under her breath. And it's like confronting, but like sometimes we are not the main characters that we think we are. Absolutely. You know, we are perceived in the world in very different ways and that's okay. Not everybody is going to be your cup of tea. You're not going to be everybody's cup of tea. And I think that's what makes us so interesting and exciting as, as characters. So I would like to see more flawed and adventurous women on screen too. Me too. Like I loved, um, I loved Fleabag. I loved Killing Eve. Villanelle mm -hmm. is maybe one of my favorite characters like of all of all time and she's a total sociopath I mean psychopath and all the rest of it and it was just like so refreshing to see Jodie Comer's fantastic chameleon performance of this character who is like it's so refreshing and exciting and of course I, I talk about on the pod that I'm bi and queer and like we don't see them very often um Alex the character in Supergirl uh ends up being bi and queer and it was like I, I remember weeping I am a grown-ass woman weeping in my bed watching this character on screen realizing I've never really seen myself reflected in the media and it was like what and that's that's the power of representation and so when people oh, get powerful. you know again going back to the development side there is a little bit sometimes I'm sure you've seen it too on Twitter you know, this like, oh, well, what? Like, you know, white guys can't write stuff anymore. And it's like, we're not even talking about you. We are talking about elevating people who haven't seen themselves on screen. The black and brown children who didn't grow up with the things that we grew up, like rugrats that were like, you know, we didn't even like think about, you know, and that's, that's on us and that's on our parents to have like educated us. But, you know, I think we should be comfortable seeing people of all different, yeah, gender identities, um, whatever on screen. And I'm, I'm glad that you had that experience. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Well, I also emphasize for the listeners on the podcast, watch things outside your lane. We get comfortable with a certain kind of stuff that we like. It's often really representative of what we grew up watching or came of age watching. And, um, 
I remember when Girlfriends dropped on Netflix, I had never seen it on BET. And I was like, oh, I'm so excited to check out this show. And uh, oh my God, it's hysterical. And I was so, that was for me, like a, another reminder of like, I need to be consuming a lot more fucking awesome black content like this that I have maybe not been exposed to because of the very white upbringing that I had. And there's these stories and these shows, these characters are so fantastic. And uh, Pachenko, you referenced, you know, it's like get comfortable stretching yourself beyond English. And I think as writers, it's also so powerful to watch shows with the subtitles on totally. because you know, it's a different language. It's not something that you know, or even in English, but you're seeing the script on screen and there's something really powerful that happens as you're learning what the words are and even the brevity of like, oh yeah, this is more, this is how people really talk. And this is how it ended up coming out by the time they were shooting it. And the, this is how the editor cut it together and how it flowed right. And you can train your ear and train your, your brain that way and also expand your cultural horizons at the same time. But is a great example of cultures that we've never seen on yeah. screen before. I didn't know about the history. I knew about the history of the Japanese in China because I lived there and I, you know, knew stuff and there's like museums. I didn't know about the displacement of Korean people. Um, you know, I think it, that's on me as well. Like as adults, like we have a duty of care to go out and root out the stories that we don't know and to educate ourselves. And truly with everything that's happening in the world right now, the more we know about other people is really like what's gonna is gonna heal us. Um, so another show I would love to shout out on Netflix actually is called The Three Percent, and I think it's either a Brazilian or an Argentinian show. And excuse me for not knowing which one, but it's um, it's incredible. It's like a post apocalyptic show. I found it. I don't know. Sometimes Netflix will just like throw up the most random things, right? Like they think they know you, and then they're like, "Oh, what about this show?" And you're like, "Okay, okay," and then you're like, "No, actually, this is great." Um, and it's really incredible and it's totally in Portuguese, I believe. And again, like you wouldn't know those actors if they walk down the street, but they're phenomenal and the writing's amazing and the editing and the set design. And like, I just want to know more people from different film and TV, you know, backgrounds. Absolutely. And Netflix has done a good job of that. You know, last year they sank 50 million into Mexican content. Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're, so we're seeing more of that, but you do have to get on and search. You do have to go look country by country to see what's available because you're going to mostly be served things by the algorithm that's based on what you've already seen already. But the search engine inside of Netflix is phenomenal and you can find anything. I found uh, during the pandemic, Girls from Ipanema, uh, which was, mm. you know, oh my gosh, about the rise of bossa nova music in Rio de Janeiro with the women who are running this uh, divorcee who's running this bossa nova club. <gasps> I loved it. Yeah. It was like a, you know, period soap opera a little bit, but the music and the cinematography and it's Rio de Janeiro. I don't know. I felt like during the pandemic, I needed like to travel. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, where can I go? So totally. you're really, you're a third culture kid. Yeah. I'm thinking of, I don't know if you've listened to this episode, but I'm thinking of Mike Metavoy, who's a third culture kid too. You know, he was born in Shanghai and then raised there and then moved to Chile and then ended up coming to Los Angeles. And whenever I'm hanging out with Mike, we're talking about what's happening in the world, what's happening globally with film and television and the types of stories that echo where we are culturally right now and the importance of cinema inside of history 
you know, is it makes you care more about history because you start to really see the interconnectedness of the world. Totally. Yeah. My dad lives in France now, um, in the South of France, which is not a bad place to visit. And hey. my, my mom lives in Thailand. So, you know, it's always interesting. And then my brother is in Australia and obviously I have ties there and then ties to Canada from living there. It's, um, you know, we are all connected and storytelling. It's interesting to see how it changes and what people are concerned about. And you'll see a lot of, you know, similar themes coming out of different countries because we're all very worried about climate change. Well, some of us are, you know, and we're all worried. And that's why you see a lot of post-apocalyptic stuff coming out of every single country. Um, and I do think to be an effective storyteller, you at least have to, you don't have to move around. Like not everybody has the means. It's a privileged position to be able to travel, to be able to live overseas. But I do think you need to educate yourself. And I do think you need to view and consume widely. And whether that's reading books, since you said you previously were like a novelist, you know, from I, I am a novelist, you are a novelist. Yes. Um, it's just important, you know, like read, remember that you don't live in a bubble. Remember that America is not the only country. Remember that, you know, people all over the place are dealing with similar or same things and that we're all connected. So yeah, I agree. Being a third culture kid is a privilege and I haven't listened to that episode, but I'll definitely go have to track it down. Oh, you'll love Mike. Um, so I want to hear what you're the most proud of. You've worked on a lot of incredible stuff. I mean, it's probably honestly not something industry related. There's definitely things, you know, I'm very proud of the Carhartt commercial we did last year because it was about bringing people together. And I was in the middle of Montana during COVID and I had some very interesting conversations with people who are very different from me. Um, and then we also did a commercial last year that was with Ball Aluminum Cup, which is you know, obviously something we're super passionate about is getting plastic out of the ocean and, and yeah. stopping single use plastic. So yes. even though that's branded stuff, I always feel inspired by the messaging behind, you know, what brands are trying to do and just the, the conversations we're having. But honestly, the stuff I'm most proud of is not something that you'll find on screen. You know, it is, um, creating communities of writers and people, um, I went to this pitch fest a couple of months ago and I had this sort of tweet go semi-viral, which was hilarious. And I felt bad afterwards because the students that met me found it and I didn't thankfully say anything mean, but I, you know, I'm always like the most proud of like imparting knowledge and like helping the next generation and creating communities. And, you know, I am very accessible on, on Twitter and Instagram and Sometimes people will hit me up and be like, can you read my script? And I'm like, honestly, I can't because I'm slammed. But like, Reading you know, 100 scripts a week. <laughs> right. But it's like, you know, if I can give you some advice or if you can take something away or like, you know, yeah, I mean, I, I listen to your podcast and it's like meet people and, you know, find your tribe and all of that stuff. I think as much as the stuff we do on screen and the stuff we write is really exciting for me, it's always coming back to the human element of it, um, which is, you know, I was listening to the song today and it gave me chills and I, I forget what it's called, but it's, oh, it's, oh my God, it was Macklemore. And it was like, you know, they say you die twice when they put you in the ground and the last time somebody mentions your name. And I was thinking about that today. I was like, I just want to have an impact. It doesn't have to be that I like was an Oscar winner or that I, you know, wrote the most famous movie in the world, but I would like people to remember that like I contributed to the community and that I uplifted them or I like connected with them with somebody or I, you know, inspired them to keep going on the worst day when they're like, I can't do this. And it's like, look, 
I know it's hard, but you can. So that's the stuff that I'm the most proud of, to be honest. I love that so much. My success metric is a well-attended funeral, for sure. Yeah. In your life, tell me how you're community building, because that sounds really important to you. Yeah, I mean... During the pandemic, I used to run stuff like this, actually. I would I have a lot of active friends, both in Toronto and L.A. I'm not an actor, but a lot of my active friends are kind of on the bubble. And so I would bring in people from the industry so that they could, like, chat to them. I just had a very big network after working on Sweet Girl. And uh, people were really bored during the pandemic, so that was great. Um, but I'm always, like, putting people together. I sometimes host, like, women's teas, um, at, you know, just to – bring people from the industry together. I'm in a writer's group. I heard on the uh, podcast I was listening to, um, uh, your guest was talking about uh, Amadou Dialio. I forget how you say his last name, but I'm also in a group with him and a bunch of other writers, all POC who meet once a month to like read scripts and, you know, just connect and be community for each other. I think, you know, it's just about getting people in a room or on a Zoom And yeah. And then, yes, I have recently kind of taken on a mentee, someone I met at this, at this, um, pitch thing. Yes. I know. She's like, she's very excited about it. I'm like, are you sure you don't want to find someone who's like, you know, knows more what they're talking about, but (laughs) you know, it's just, it's, I think it's as well. Like if, again, if you're an executive and you don't need me to tell you this, but like part of the job and part of our duty of care and paying it forward is like going to the networking events and, you know, figuring out how we can help people because I'll tell you something, somebody helped me one time and it opened the door a fraction and then someone else pulled me up onto something else. And like, here we are, you know? Oh, that's so beautiful. I'm, I'm here. I'm just feeling that in my heart because it's really rare. And, uh, I, the only reason you and I are even sitting here right now was because in the pandemic, Uh, I got more active on Twitter and I was like, I have time and I'd love to mentor some young women, you know, some young women writers. And it was just a thought, oh, you know, if maybe 10 people apply, I could find three, you know, to just try to give back whatever I've learned from, you know, my time with Gary Shandling, my time as a development exec. And like, it was just crazy. I'd like 250 people apply to this tiny little, it's just me. Like, and, and what I heard from everyone early and mid-career and everything else was there's there's no mentorship opportunities there where where is the opportunity to find a mentor to you know be apprenticed into an industry that you really need to apprentice into it's an opaque industry it can be very confusing to navigate from the outside and finding those open doors where people are willing to share from their knowledge base um, even early you know you don't have to have been doing this for 30 years to feel like you have a knowledge base to give back from but just to care enough to do that oh that's so beautiful Paris that really inspires me yeah I think it's well it's it's okay to ask it's okay if people say no um I just jumped on the phone the other day oh that's my dog that we're babysitting just losing a shit for a second um foster foster (laughs) actually it's not our foster doggy right now it's a friend's uh pepperoni but uh we yeah I saw a post in a Facebook group of a girl who has a producer assistant job and she was like you know I have some questions and I was like here's my phone number call me and we did a 15 minute call and really the question behind the question was you know, was she being taken advantage of? And when she explained the situation to me, I was like, I think, you know, in your heart that you are, because it's like this part-time opportunity. And it was like, I took the call over my lunch break. I don't often take a lunch break, but my partner was like, did you know that girl? And I was like, no, but like, 
you know, we have to help each other. Like we, even if it's just 15 minutes of someone like feeling not alone, like someone's out there, someone cares about me. And like, I genuinely do. I've been through every terrible situation in this business Mm -hmm. and it's just, you know, whether it is like someone on Twitter validating you from a response or whatever, it's like, I love like so many of the showrunners that I respect, mostly women, to be honest, are always on Twitter and they're like, you know, okay, for the next hour I'm answering questions. And I think that's amazing because sometimes you just need to feel heard and validated, right? Absolutely. A question that comes up a lot, especially amongst my audience of folks who write in after listening to the podcast is how do I break in? You know, maybe they want to be a showrunner, right? Maybe, you know, especially from writers, where do I start? Do you have tips and suggestions for those individuals? For sure. And listen, um, every single person's journey is different. Obviously I shared my story and it's completely erratic and you know, you can't try to emulate it because you'll, mine was too, cause I met my boss in yoga. So, right. There you go. You know, and, and the way I reconnected with Brian, my current boss is he adopted one of my foster dogs and I certainly wasn't fostering <gasps> dogs thinking, Oh, this will lead to a job opportunity. I was just chasing my bliss. And I think that's what it comes down to is like, you know, run towards the thing that the things that feel good to you. And if writing feels good to you, then write. And like you've said in your previous podcasts, find, find your tribe. But I mean, for me, it sucks to say, but I feel like my career would not be where it was if I hadn't moved to LA. And I think LA just got announced as the most unlivable city or like the, <laughs> the most expensive city in the world. Or yeah, it's, pretty bad. It's, it's pretty bad, but I mean, you don't have to live here. I will say the benefit for me of being here is I am very extroverted. I love chatting with people. And you know, when I first moved here in 2017, I would be in a coffee shop and I would find myself, you know, just chatting with everyone. And I remember I met the composer from guardians of the galaxy and yeah. we were chatting and that was just like in a coffee shop. He was just standing there. Like that guy does not live in, you know, rural Ontario, unfortunately. So, but and I then, think uh, and you get those invitations where you meet someone, they're like, Oh my gosh, oh, come to this barbecue. Yeah. And yes. there's a barbecue and there's a, the, and there's that flow of magic in the city. And I don't know what else to call it aside from magic. And I do recommend that people move to Los Angeles if they can, you know, even yeah. if they're, te- even if they're temping at a, you know, studio or somewhere to be able to just be in the flow of the magic that can happen in the city. Cause there's a lot of it. I mean, yeah, I yeah. met, I met Gary Shandling in a, uh, in a clothing shop. I didn't even know it was him. I saw a guy standing in front of the mirror, putting on a shirt, trying on a shirt. And I saw that he had an Enzo tattoo on the back of his neck. And I'm a blurter outerer. Like when I'm out in public, I just talk to everybody. So I'm across the room and I'm just like, oh my gosh, you have an Enzo tattoo. That's so cool. And the guy who turns around is Gary Shandling, who of course I remembered from being on television when I was a kid. And he just walked right over to me and he was like, no one else has known what my tattoo was. Who are you? What are you doing? You're coming to dinner with us right now. And he like grabbed me and Orny Adams and we all went out to dinner because I knew what his tattoo was. And then I ended up working for him and it's like that flow is not gonna happen if you're living in rural Kansas or something you can write from there but you're not gonna make the friends the friendships that are gonna bolster your success 
And I will say everybody gives different, you know, advice. Like I uh, work with someone who was like, if you're an actor, like stay in your hometown and like, you know, work really hard and get on those movies because they're shooting, you know, like, for example, in Pittsburgh, we were hiring a lot of like sort of one line locals. And if you were in L.A., you wouldn't get that opportunity because it's true. You have to be local. That's one one piece of advice. Like nobody truly knows your path. I think only you do. I was like a moth to a flame. I knew I had to come to LA because A, I loved it here every time I would visit and B, there was just that flow, that energy that you were talking about. But I think if you work hard and if you have a good attitude and you are open to change or, you know, learning and growing, then you will succeed. It's the people I meet. I've read a few. I do read some writers off Twitter, please don't DM me your scripts because uh, <laughs> I, can, I like now that I work in development, I cannot legally read of them. Course. Um, some people don't know that, you know, and, and people are like, how do I pitch to you? And that's I'm like, why there's no unsolicited submissions yes. coming across the transom. Yes. Um, but I will say um, I did read when I was in the pandemic and I didn't have a job, I was doing some notes, you know, exchanges with people. And what really bums me out is when someone's script comes in and you have a note and it's like, Hey, this is like way too descriptive or this you're spending, you know, too, too many pages, like really going through this, like one specific thing that is not moving the story forward. And then somebody just goes, no. And you're like, Oh, okay. Like, I'm not saying, you know, and again, like I think with notes, if you're a writer, you have to evaluate where those notes come from. Not everybody, you know, is good at giving notes. That's actually a skill on itself. Really true. But but I do think, you know, every good thing that has happened to me in my life is when I like open my ears and I say yes and, which is very much like an improv thing and just, you know, see where the thing comes. Like, okay, does it hurt me to rewrite this script with this kind of note in mind? Or like maybe that wasn't the note, but like that unlodged something else. So I do think talent rises to the top. I can share a story of a friend of mine whose movie with Andy McDowell and Orlando Bloom just wrapped. This guy was writing scripts. He was a correspondent on the Hill, I believe, in Washington. Had never really written scripts before, but like kind of wanted to do it. Um, his script landed on the nickel. I think in the semifinals, these agent people who have no other clients, it's just them, reached out to him, somehow had a connection at Thunder Road, got the script over there. And like, literally he was just on set in Kentucky and like this, you know, so you don't have to, he's moved to LA now, but you don't yeah, have to be here. Right. It, it happens. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it really depends on what you want to do. If you want to be in production, be in a production heavy town. If you want to be a writer, TV, probably LA. Yeah, um, TV writing is is really where you need to be thinking about Los Angeles. And I would say if you're if you're if you're doing comedy, you know, being doing stand up in the major cities in L.A., in New York, where comedians help one another, especially those who are successful, love to drop in and see who the young comics are on the scene and, you know, just take it take it from there. Uh, but also make your own runways too. like, make it easy for people to find you. I started a podcast during the pandemic because I am a psycho that needs to have 50 plates spinning at once to feel like I'm achieving things. And, you know, off of that podcast, not only have we made so many incredible industry connections, but, um, David and I, my co-host and I have been interviewed for MC positions, like things that like, I would love to do that people just had, I've, done auditions for voiceover work for like animated <laughs> shows nothing has come of it yet but like these opportunities come because I built it myself and I Tell love us that more I, about your podcast because I'm I'm really sure. interested about it 
Um, so yeah, so it's the age like milk, right? Age like milk. And it came out of the idea during the pandemic. I think a lot of us were rewatching some comfort food movies and I used to love movies like she's all that and 10 things I hate about you. And I was watching them through the critical lens of 2020 and being like, Oh my God, like she's all that. Like the main theme is if you're pretty, if you change every single thing about yourself, this guy will fall in love with you. And I don't know if that's the message that we want to be, you know, perpetuating. Um, So I convinced my gorgeous friend, David, who lives around the corner from me and is a wannabe actor or trying to, you know, acting um, to come and be my co-host. And he's biracial and he's from Wisconsin. So like we have very different perspectives and it's been really fun. We, I think we just wrapped our 84th or 5th episode. and Oh, congratulations. Yeah. And we have, you know, industry guests coming in. So we, we'll talk a little bit about like what they do and try to demystify like you do about like parts of the industry. And then it always devolves into mostly laughter. We don't really do like hard topics. You know, we do like breakfast at Tiffany's we did interstellar where we were like couldn't Taj just scoop him up real quick like I definitely (laughs) definitely had time on that slow planet um so yeah we have a good time what is one of the films that you watched that you felt did age well um well we just did honey I shrank the kids uh that hasn't come out yet we just recorded it um So it's interesting because it did age well in terms of like, there wasn't anything too problematic, but I think also our Richter scale has changed because like, there's not one color of person of color in that film at all. Mm. Um, And it's a little bit like, she says something a little bit questionable to the daughter where she's like, I hope she behaves herself. But like, for the most part, anything that doesn't use like derogatory terms, where there's like breakfast at Tiffany's was staggering. I mean, I don't have to tell you guys if you haven't seen it, in a minute there's a horrific portrayal of an asian person Mm. um which is like so offensive so it's like i think it started out where like every film we were like oh god this is aged but now we're like "Eh, it's pretty innocuous compared to you know other ones and i was gonna say there apparently there's a new um honey i shrunk the kids coming out just called shrunk which i'm very excited to check out and i hope they have some people of color in it (laughs) Fingers crossed. Yeah. Come on guys. I, you know, I leave Turner classic movies on in the background a lot when I'm working during the day. And sometimes I'll just sit down and like watch whatever's on. And, um, yesterday gaslight was on Mm. with Ingrid Bergman and Charles Boyer. And it's where we get the term gaslit gaslighting. Uh, and I hadn't seen the movie since I was in my twenties and I just stopped my work day and started watching it. And was absolutely queasy within minutes, having sat through Trump's presidency, everything we know now about narcissism and watching him convince her that she was crazy. Mm -hmm. One little like piece at a time of, oh, but your memory has been terrible for a long time. Of course you don't remember that, you know, and you're just going, no. I mean, that kind of psychological horror film for me, I was like, I, this, when was this film? Like the twenties or something. Mm -hmm. And it's like never been more relevant. And I do feel like those are, those are more rare. I mean, I don't know if you experienced this as a writer, I go back to my own work and have like, you know, 
just like my stomach do backflips over like what I've written before and gone like, oh my God, this is, this is horrible. Um, and I'm, I'm glad some of it has not come out and I've had the opportunity to go back and rewrite with the lens of like where I am now, although I'm always in the danger of over, over rewriting, you know, cause we're yeah. always growing. We're always growing. I think that's what something we also focus on. And like, I mean, we always come into for the podcast, at least, you know, when we look at these films that have aged, we look at the context of the time and we, you know, try to remember that it's a miracle that any film ever gets made. And we always do a shout out to someone from the crew because that's, you know, it takes a village and Love that. Um, same with my own work. Like you reread it and you're like, Oh God. But you know, th- we did knocked up. I'm a massive Apatow fan. I have friends oh, at work too. over there. Love, Absolutely. love Judd. Think he's amazing. Think he's so funny. Knocked up not once do they talk about abortion as an option. She's like, well, I guess I'm like, tied to the schlubby guy forever. And like, they have, you know, they have like themes of, you know, these boys basically just being disgusting. And it's like, and they use derogatory terms towards LGBTQIA um, people, uh, which I cannot stand like the F word, you know, or, or yelling gay. Like, I just think that's so basic. We all, I mean, I have to put my hand up and say when I was in middle school, we definitely said it, you know, and it's terrible. My brother is gay. My sister is trans. And I feel sick to my stomach that I ever used a term like that. Right. But you evolve and like, thankfully none of my terrible writing has made it onto the screen yet, but I'm sure I will write something stereotypical and terrible or like, you know, we're always evolving. We're always learning. And yeah. You Have can you ever be- seen a uh, judge shows at the Largo? I haven't. Oh, no. Next time he does one, we should go. Yeah. He's so funny. And he always has the greatest special guests, Judd and friends. I feel like he does one every couple of months. You know, he brings on, Beck, I've seen, I mean, I've seen everybody, John Mulaney, and it just, it's like endless, all his friends, Tignataro, and just mm. whoever's in town that night, he'll, he'll bring on, but he's stood up in his standup and just said, guys, you know, I, I, I failed in the diversity department. I'm really sorry. <laughs> and that was the best I could do at the time. Cause he was really focused on helping geeks you know, be cool and get the girl, which was like out of freaks and geeks where he built his whole brand. And he was like, I'm very tired now. <laughs> I think that's part of it too. I think sometimes, you know, especially David, my co-host on my podcast, he's biracial. And so I don't jump down his throat and be like, Oh, you know, I let him speak to like how he's feeling about this portrayal. Cause he's a big fan of a lot of the nineties movies that I'm a big fan of. And, you know, it, it's like, they just didn't think about it, you know? And they, like, we just did, um, basketball, which was my first time seeing that movie. Hilarious. Um, love the South park guys, but not, not any representation. And it's like, David even was like, you know what? Like watching this as a kid, like I didn't even realize, but now as an adult, I'm like, that's such a bummer that I didn't see Mm. that. But those guys creating that, like, we have no idea what the conversations were in the room. I mean, I can tell you from an exec level, when we throw around names now, it's like, you know, for casting and stuff like that, there are people get really insular in this business. There's like, you know, 10 people that can green light a movie and everybody wants them. It's like, currently it's like Timothy Chalamet and Tom Holland and like Jason and John center and like the rock. And like, there's these people. And it's like, those are, you know, there are incredible actors across the board, people that you don't know that are just it's just, it's become a business of like checks and balances. I think it always has been. So some of these movies that have aged and didn't have diversity, there probably just weren't any names in the room even. And now thank God there are. Paris Herbert Taylor 
You're fantastic. I've loved talking to you. How can our listeners find you? Where can they follow you? You can find me on uh, Twitter. Sorry, my phone was distracting me for a second. Um, I'm on Twitter at O Paris. I think it's O H P A R A S. And then you can find me on Instagram too. It's mainly just pictures of um, foster dogs and my partner doing weird things. I put him on the internet. He does not like it, but it's fine. You can get to know Scott through my Instagram, and that is O Parisimo. O H. P-A-R-I-S-I-M-O. I recently discovered that when you look me up on Instagram, I tried to start this Instagram a while back called the Sporty Koala. Terrible name. I don't know. I need to figure I out how to delete that. it. I think I thought I was going to be like a fitness influencer. I went keto a few years ago and <laughs> lost a ton of weight. Koala. And then, uh, yeah. And then I came back in the pandemic and was like, meh, this is my natural form. So yes, connect with me. Don't send me your scripts, please and thank you. But we can be friends. And, you know, if I have the chance, I will always answer questions. You know, if I can just jump on the phone real quick, I think I'm really about like breaking down that barrier. And I think people think of gatekeepers as a bad thing. Um, it's definitely a term I hear thrown around, but there's a gate because there are so many people who think that like, oh, they see what you can do. And they're like, oh, I can do that. And it's like, can you like make sure someone once told me, it's fine to tap someone on the shoulder, but when they turn around, you better be ready because you kind of get that one, right? So just think about that. Um, and it's also a marathon, not a sprint. So like if you have a script and you're not quite sure, don't, you know, send it to someone right now. Like wait till it's like perfect or, it, you know, nothing's perfect. So good. Thank and that's you my, so that's my for, rant. <laughs> for being with us today. You're awesome. We, we appreciate you so much for being here. Of course, my pleasure. And thank you so much for having me. And everybody listen to your podcast, please. And um, we'll have to have you on our podcast too. It'll be fun. Cross promotion, baby. <laughs> love it, love it. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Entertainment Business Wisdom. We invite you to subscribe so you never miss an episode. Please like, review, and share it with your friends and colleagues. Kaya Alexander can be reached on Twitter for your questions or comments at This Is Kaya. Get entertainment business career training as well as a free special report, How to Pitch Anything in One Minute, at www.entertainmentbusinessleague.com. Thank you. Thank you.